Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by guest MJ Bradley Lestrange to talk about Tamara Pierce's Protector of the Small Quartet in the second of our Tamara Pierce episodes. I'm back! Yes. So uh, do you want to briefly, I I know most people have probably listened to the previous episode, but just in case, do you want to briefly tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to talk about these books? Yes. So if you listened to the previous episode, you know that I am also a podcaster. I'm on three shows. One is called Reignite about the Mass Effect series of video games, Circle of Magic, which is one of Tamara Pierce's other series. And I am also on the Rob Thomas, no, not that one, Robcast, which focuses on the creative works of Rob Thomas. No, it's not that one. Don't worry about him. <laughs> we don't talk about that one. That being said... It's always uh, the other one. It's always the other one. <laughs> that being said, the reason why I wanted to talk about Tamara Pierce's books is because I learn a lot from them. I've mentioned before that I read them horribly out of order. <laughs> like, so, so terribly out of order. Like, three generations later, it's terrible. It's absolutely <laughs> bad. Um, but... That being said, even though I didn't read Alana until I was in my uh, early 20s, I still got a lot out of it. Like I wish that I had met her when I was much younger. I wish that I met Kel when I was much younger, mm-hmm. especially. I was horribly bullied as a child. Yeah. I had Same. High five. <laughs> oh, <laughs> same hat. <laughs> uh, I had like very long hair past my hips and that was like everybody's focal point for bullying me <laughs> because that's how I was weird. And when I was a high school senior, I chopped off all my hair because I w- was like, I'm finally free of the thing that they bullied me about. And instead they <laughs> bullied me about being gay. And I was like, I can't even criticize you on that one. <laughs> Uh, at the time I didn't like have the label that I use now which is pansexual but I was just Mm -hmm. I I, I can't even talk I'm so mad (laughs) how dare you but yeah if I had Kel then maybe I would have been a much calmer child yeah also maybe I would have gotten into a lot of fights (laughs) (laughs) I might have picked a lot more fights the example we learned from Kel is that if somebody bullies you you should beat them up and they deserve it (laughs) Sometimes they do deserve it. Sometimes, sometimes they do. Sometimes they just like beating up people that are smaller than them and you have to step up. I, I'm very passionate about Kel. Like, I love Alana, but I am ride or die for Kel. I read these books for the very first time. And so I came to really love Kel, but, you know, but Alana is my ride or die. <laughs> but I... Yeah, came to really love Cal, and I really, really did enjoy these books. But uh, as mentioned previously, I had a stage after I had read and obsessed over Song of the Lioness and Wild Magic. The Immortals? Is that what that quartet is actually called? I can never remember. It is called The Immortals. Thank you. You're not crazy. Which is weird, because don't the Immortals not show up until book like two or three? They actually do start to appear in one. They do. Okay. We need All the right. Stormwings well, in one. Oh, okay. We do. Okay. I I need to reread them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was really into those. And then by the time Protector of the Small started coming out, which was in 1999, I was getting to the point where I was like, I read grown-up books now. I'm fancy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is a wild thing to say if you know some grown-up books. 
Oh, right. Yeah. I, like, absolutely. Like, not a reasonable position in any way to take, but. I read The Magicians by Lev Grossman. It's way more mature than Harry Potter. <laughs> You're right. I love Lev Grossman. I'm sorry. Lev Grossman, I love you. I love The Magicians very much. We bonded once over our love for borders. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. That's a nice nice. So you, like, met him? That's nice. I did. Uh, I actually used to work at Books of Wonder, which is a huge, mm-hmm. very popular children's bookstore here on the east coast okay they had the largest collection of rare and used children's books Hmm. Um, it was the bookstore that was the inspiration for you've got mail really cute it was a really great experience for me i got to meet a lot of authors as a result yeah like i have also met tamara pierce oh so jealous um i met her shortly after my husband and i got engaged (laughs) and i said like oh hey you're kind of the reason that we're together and she was like don't put that on me (laughs) <laughs> that's not my fault <laughs> I was like well I meant that in a good way but okay I mean I can kind of see it that's just like oh god like and you're gonna then remember me if you like get divorced well it's more because reading these books I feel make you a better person and my relationship with my husband did not become good until he read all of these books good so maybe I should have told my ex-husband to do that <laughs> They make you a better person. And it's if somebody invests the time in reading the things that you're passionate about, then yeah. that shows the level of care that they have for you. And John like devoured these books. He is also ride or die for Kel. Yeah. He was 25, I want to say, mm-hmm. when reading all of these books for the first time. He read all of Alana and The Immortals and Protector of the Small. He read Trickster's Choice and Trickster's Queen, Becca Cooper. I think the two Tortal series for him is Protector of the Small and Becca Cooper. Mm -hmm. Because it's very much about protecting people. Yeah. And while the others are, not to the degree that these two series are. Yeah, absolutely. So. And it's, yeah, it's really, it's really nice. I like these books. It's wholesome in a lot of ways. Yeah. So this is a Protector of the Small Quartet, which was released between 1999 and 2002, with the four books being First Test, Page, Squire, and Lady Knight. Yes, Carmen, thank you for your contribution. Uh, <laughs> Did you tell them? Make sure that you tell them. <laughs> this one also has animals. Yes, it does. What are you doing? Okay. <laughs> I'll cut that out. <laughs> so for the first section, the enumeratio, I'll start with just a very brief explanation of the premise, and then we'll get into a more informal discussion of the series. The protector of the small quartet centers on Caledry of Mindelin who is the first woman to openly try for her shield after it is now permitted to do so in Tortal uh, because of Alana, essentially. The series follows Caladri as she makes friends, earns her shield, and develops with a dedication to protecting the vulnerable and the ability to do so successfully. So fuck King Jonathan, though. Okay, so <laughs> here's the problem that we encounter as soon as Protector of the Small opens in First Test. In order to pass the laws that he wants to pass and be as progressive as he wants to be he has to make all of these like considerations to the conservatives because a lot of people believe that alana cheated to get her shield and everybody conspired right, that she like used magic or that like the gods did it or whatever right so in a lot of ways like yes fucking jonathan because he agrees to let lord wilden the new training master to put Keladry on probation, even though nobody said anything about probation. And no male page has ever had a probationary period. Nope. And I think that while King Jonathan is definitely at fault in a lot of ways, 
I think that the concept of a probation should definitely apply to all of them, especially after. I'd be fine if it was just a new rule for pages. Yeah. Like every page from now on needs a year of probation so we can make sure that you're serious about this and you're the kind of person we want protecting our country. Yeah, but the fact that this applies to the one girl that doesn't apply to any of the boys and will continue to not apply to any of the boys is some real misogynist bullshit. It really is. And Kel knows it, and it's almost the reason why she decides not to do it. Yeah, that she's like, maybe I should just do something else because, like, actually, like, fuck that and fuck them. Yeah, she often has moments where she's confronted with the king and she's just like, Yeah, no, fuck you. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. And she's like, and she's also like, she's like, I know objectively you're attractive, but I don't like you. (laughs) Like, I know that you're handsome. I know that you're very inspiring, but also fuck you. Like, I'm not here. I'm not fucking here for it. (laughs) How dare you? The other bullshit is that Alana is basically told that she like can't fucking talk to her. Yeah, which is frustrating. I do see the point. Alana hasn't showed any interest in any of the pages, so it is favoritism. But it is unfair that Kel can't, like, write her a letter and be like, hey, you were in my position before. I'd like to ask for your advice. Yeah. By closing off that avenue for Kel, you're creating even more of a hostile environment for her. She has no one that she can turn to. Alana is an obvious person for her to turn to as a mentor in a way that, like, I mean, that, like, representation matters and that, like, having, you know, teachers and mentors who have had the kinds of experiences that you have had and people, you know, who share your gender or race or sexual orientation, like, those things matter in terms of, like, people who are, like, going to mentor you effectively. And so it's a disadvantage that Kel has that could be remedied that no other, that, again, no other male pages have because they all have some dude mentors and they're dudes. Yeah. Very early in first test, there is an interaction with Lord Wilden, the new training master. Piers of Mindelin, who is an excellent dad. Let's just give it up for a good dad. He is a very good dad. She has great parents. I really really like both of her parents. I love when we can get away from the, like, dead parents, the bad parents, like... Yeah. But, like, she doesn't see her parents that often once she becomes a knight, or once she, like, starts her training as a page, because you just don't. But whenever she sees him, sees them, they're very happy to see her and they're very yeah. nice and they're very like loving and they're very supportive and it's great. They're very proud of her and they like they make sure that she knows that every time. She never has yes. to guess. Yeah. Which is really nice and comforting. And Piers sitting with her talking to Lord Wilden. Lord Wilden starts talking about like the different rules. Like if there's a boy in her room, the door must be open, which is valid. However, the yeah. reasoning should be for Kel's safety and not for the right. reputation of the boys. Yeah, exactly. And that's the reason that he gives because, like, I will not stand flirtations. And Pierce is like, my dude, she's 10. Yeah, she's exactly. A child. And he's like, it's my experience that females start young. Wow. Mm. And of course he wow. says females, right? Oh, uh, every time someone says females, I'm just like, is there a no. in this room? that's actually the one time by the way that uh that jonathan jonathan one time says that female when referring to alana and yeah said, like it's just like mm. a, yeah it's like dude no uh-uh uh-uh with this whole incel bullshit should be portrayed by a ferengi <laughs> that's it uh but lord wilden i just yeah i got so upset he does improve over time he becomes a much better person a much better man yes a much better teacher 
but when we first meet him, man, this he perpetuation sucks. of rape culture, this yep. implicate. Mm, it's just, have you ever met a 10-year-old who's just like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to sleep with some men? No, you haven't. Because no, that's that's not a 10-year-old. That's not it's what 10-year-olds are like. If you ever any see a 10-year-old gender. who's pregnant, that 10-year-old had no choice, my dude. Oh, no. Yeah. Ugh. And that was an older man who made that decision. But you're not ready yep. to have that conversation, are you, Lord Wilden? Nope. So, yeah. So that's really gross. And in general, just, like, it also is very clear that, like, he does not teach her, treat her for, certainly throughout this first book, he does not treat her the way that he treats her the male pages. Mm-mm. That he is deliberately harder on her. He is. And there's so many situations where her safety is put at risk because he's mm-hmm. giving her the sh- cold shoulder. He's not giving her the same amount of attention and do and care yeah. that the boys are getting. Like, yeah. Joran puts her in a bad situation and, like, tries to seriously hurt her in order yep. to try and get her to leave. And when it's found out, does Joran get in trouble for instigating a fight? Of course he fucking fight? doesn't. Of course not, because he's literally the golden boy. Yeah. And Kel's the one who gets in trouble because she does something fancy that she learned in a different country. Right. How dare she? How dare she know something different? Yep. Just absolute bullshit. It really is. And it's so frustrating. But Kel fucking takes it. And not only does she take it, but she she fights against it every chance she gets. Yes. Like, she learns to pick her battles. Right. And she learns to pick her battles, but also is very committed really early on to I'm not going to let people get bullied when there is something that I can do to stop it. And so like she starts basically this like one woman anti-bullying campaign against Joran and his friends who just like bully the like the smaller pages. And uh, you know that there's like some amount of like page hazing that's yeah. normal of like, you know, make they have to you like make them get stuff for you and whatnot. But there's like a clear delineation of the fact that like there are these pages who take it who take it too older pages who take it too far. Yeah, like they smack a page around or they like right. force them to clean with using their own clothes. Like they're very deliberately awful about right. it. Right, but also they like clean like messes that they made on purpose so that they'd have something to make them clean or like that. You know, it's fine to say to a to a younger page like go and get this book from the library for me, but it's not fine to say go and get this book and then they bring back the book and then they say and then they say like you're an idiot I didn't want that book I wanted this book and you make it make them do it 30 times yeah exactly and I don't want anyone to think that Kel is just like perfect from outset no she encounters this practice for the first time and she knows that it's wrong and she feels that it's wrong but she runs away Because she's scared. She's 10 years old. These boys are older, bigger, and they have more experience than she does. It is a very smart thing to do to run away. Yeah. Yeah. And she, you know, and also like she, like there's a bunch of them and she's alone. Like, yeah, it's really understandable. But that's when she starts to think about it more critically. And she's like, you know what? How can I run away and still become a knight? Yeah. And she takes chivalry so seriously. She takes her duty seriously. Mm-hmm. And I just think about this scene where Neil is out of his mind with worry. He thinks that she is addicted to fighting. I love Neil, by the way. He's so good. He takes, He's so good. He takes her under his wing immediately, even though he's like, 
Lord Wilden's least favorite person in the entire castle. Right. And he's like, all right, fuck, I'll do it. And okay, and also like nobody except for him will take her. And I do actually think it's really striking and it totally makes sense to me that in this like chivalric, like chivalry emphasized like male bonding culture that Alana had no trouble in a lot of ways with making friends because she was Alan. Mm -hmm. And because like, even though she was like, you know, small or whatever, like that doesn't matter. She's still like one of the guys, but that Cal never has that. Yeah. Because she's openly, you know, because she's openly a woman. And while obviously it's better that she has the ability to do that, it's also like she immediately gets treated differently, not only by Lord Wilden, but also by her peers. Yeah. She starts off with this inherent bias against her. Yeah. And her presence really stirs things up. And I think it's a good thing because it shows Lord Wilden where he's been going wrong all of these yes. years. Yes. And shows everybody. And also like, okay, just one other thing that I want to mention about how Jonathan kind of sucks. Yes. We find out that his daughter yeah, wanted Callison. to train as a page, Callison, who was named after the her grandmother, Thayat's mother, who like killed herself because her husband sucks so much. And he like she wanted to train as a page and he said no because it was like not gonna look good for this marriage that he was making for her with I think like the son of the Emperor of Karthak or something. Oh god, is she marrying Kadar after all? Sorry, I'm trying to remember who she's marrying. This is that's what I think it said when I was like yeah. doing some Googling to follow up on things. In the Immortals, the Emperor of Karthak is overthrown and his heir, his nephew, Kadar, takes over. And a lot of people who served Ozorn are still, like, rebelling against Kadar, even though he is the rightful heir. Because Kadar is trying to do things like end slavery. God forbid. God forbid. But originally, during the negotiations before Ozorn was deposed, he put a marriage proposal on the table for Kadar and Kallison. But Kallison was, like, 12 at the time. But Kallison is probably 16 now, I think. I don't remember. So maybe it was just like a general, like, it wouldn't look good in terms of the kind of marriage that you would yeah. anticipate making for her or whatever it was. But it was essentially like his own daughter wanted to train as a page and he said no. Yeah. He talked and, her out. And Thayat was and Thayat was real mad, which I appreciate. Yeah. That they included that detail. Well, because Thayat is commander of like her own yeah. force and the thought that her daughter doesn't fight. But there's a lot more things going on behind the scenes that Kel doesn't know about and thus we as a reader don't know about. And there is something that Kel says is that good kings are seldom nice men. Yeah. And John tries to do his best by his people. And sometimes that means that he has to make these really hard decisions that make him seem like a not nice person. Right. I guess I just, I don't know. I'm reading this and I'm... uh having I I feel like I read like I'm reading this and I'm struggling to wonder if okay so in the 21st century United States I often as we are on the eve of the election I often feel like the Democrats lose so much by being more willing to compromise than the Republicans pretty much always are if you keep compromising you keep moving right exactly and I get that vibe from Jonathan yeah that I I think That I am not sure I believe he needs to compromise as much as he does in order to rule effectively. I believe that. And I could agree with that. Yeah. We just don't see enough of Callison for me to really, like, form an opinion of what's going on. Like, we see a lot of Rold because he's one of the pages when we first start. And he's... (laughs) 
a very interesting character. He is nothing like his father. Yeah. Like when Jonathan was a page, he was like, I form my own squad. I have my favorites. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck that guy in particular. Right. And Roland does not do that. He's like, I am going to spend an equal amount of time with all of the pages. Except maybe slightly less with Joran. <laughs> right. But like slightly less, like not so much less that like he could like tell his dad, like the prince doesn't like me. Yeah, exactly. And Roald really cares about not using his power. Jonathan yeah. didn't care about that at all. No, he Jonathan power like- out of drop. Jonathan, like, explicitly, like, I'm not going to complain. Jonathan explicitly abused his power with Rolan in particular, I think. Yeah. And and again, you know, fine. But (laughs) I I don't blame you. That was fine. Yeah, like, but... But Roll thinks about these things very carefully. He's a very thoughtful young man. Yes, which is interesting. Maybe he'll be a good king. I think he will be, especially getting married to Shinkokami. Right. Another element that we're introduced to is that there is this arranged marriage between Prince Roald and a Yamani princess. Yamani being the stand-in culture for Japanese culture. Yes. Which Kel was immersed in for a good chunk of her life. Right, because her, I guess, father was the ambassador. Yep. He brokered a treaty between Tortal and Yamani. uh, Right. Yamani Islands. Right. And also her mother saved some sacred relics from attacks right, by pirates. Right, they were there. Oh, I love Elaine of Mindelin. She is amazing. Yes. And it also is really, like, it's really cool that it also, like, she, like, Kel actually learned some fighting skills because there are certain fighting skills that are standard for Yamani noble women. Yep, fighting with a uh, Naginata. Right, yeah. And so the, and I really like that eventually when she needs to have, like, a long weapon that she, like, has, like, the, like, Yamani glaive that she learned how to fight with as a, you know, as a child. And she's like, can I use this? And they're like, okay. Yeah. Raul is just like, that's amazing. <laughs> that's he's so like, cool. yeah, that's, He's like, yeah, what? That's awesome. I love Raul. Right. He's great. <laughs> Raul is so great. Raul is a feature in this entire quartet. He shows up in Page. Yeah. And again, throughout... I'm trying to remember how often he showed up in Page. No, he showed up at the end of first test. That's what it was. And then yeah, he showed up like again fairly in Page. briefly. Yes, because he, uh, I think he sees uh, so that that first test ends with like she basically like while the pages are on their like summer thing, she ends up basically leading the other pages in a fight against uh, the Spindrin, the immortals who are giant fucking horror spiders. Yup, I would nope <laughs> out so hard. I'd be like, you know what, this was fun. This was a good time. Thanks for making me feel like shit all the time. This is the (laughs) thing that makes me leave. And yeah, and like demonstrates real like leadership and command skills, which will be something that will like continue to be a big theme increasingly as she continues in her training. Yeah, definitely. Time and time again, she proves that she is just as good, if not better than the boys. She has a head on her shoulders. The boys start to come to her for help with schoolwork. Yeah, uh, she has. Like she's head. really good at math, or yeah, I think she's um, really good at math. She loves yeah. it. There's also this funny bit where she's in like the etiquette class, and she like snorts a little when she gets the book, and the uh, the master's like, "What? You think you're better than everybody?" And she's like, "No, my dad wrote this book. <laughs> like, literally, my my father wrote the book on this. That's, that's his name, Piers of Mindelin, right there. And Caledry of Mindelin. Have we met?" <laughs> It's very cute. Uh, it, it was very good. Just every time they try to like shut her down, she's just like, no. <laughs> just yeah. no. 
<laughs> I refuse. Oh, so the other character. So, okay. So Kel in, she's like on this kind of anti-bullying campaign. She also like gets a lot of like animal friends. And there's this like sense of, first of all, there's this interesting bit that basically because of Dane, the wild mage, she was the center of the immortals quartet being around her magic has essentially like made the animals uh, like more sentient more like human they think like humans now. yeah like they think more like humans yeah their thoughts are more organized yes yeah you know and so like the animals and so like because of that even though Kel doesn't have that magic she ends up like making all of these like connections with animals that are like human like in certain ways yeah including there's her horse peach blossom who yeah is like the horse that she takes even though like she knows that he's like kind of like too big for her and is like hard to control he's mean and and he's mean and then like dane like chats with him and they like broker a compromise and then they're best friends and i really like it there are so many moments where kel is talking about her relationship with her horse and how peach blossom is her hidden temper like peach blossom is the self that she doesn't show to the world and i think Mm -hmm. that is very accurate i think that's exactly what peach blossom is yeah my sense is that this is something that like is present that this is was presented as being something that like in yamini culture it's often considered to be not proper to like have very overt emotional displays and so like having grown up in that culture that is something that like comes naturally to her to like not let her temper come out in really obvious and explicit ways right that she's like very calm even in extremely trying situations and also she's bullied for that because she's right they call her the lump yeah she's able to school herself into stillness but if she wasn't able to do that then they would call her hysterical Mm -hmm. so she wouldn't be able to win no matter what and that is right what bullying is about Right. And also misogyny. Yeah. Because she specifically can't win no matter what because she's a woman. Exactly. (laughs) It's very frustrating and upsetting. Fortunately, at the end of first test, she can stay because Lord Wilden, like, looks at everything she's done and is just like, no, she did the things. Yeah. She passed. She passed the exams. Yeah. And that's the thing is that increase, like, I think Wilden is a really interesting character in that, like, he comes off initially as this, like, basically, like, shitty misogynist villain. But, like, as you increasingly see more of him, like, he fundamentally is, like, I don't want to say that he's, like, fundamentally, like, fair exactly because he clearly was, like, unfair in terms of, like, how he initially saw her, but that he is somebody who, like, ultimately weighs people by what they do yeah and so even despite the fact that like he has what are undoubtedly like shitty gross prejudices you know it's something that happens in real life that prejudice people they actually like meet a human who is like the thing that they think they don't like or don't think is acceptable or or or, or you know normal and then they get to know that person and they're like oh i was wrong yeah and like he actually like he changes because he, he knows Kel. And comes to respect her. But unfortunately, he's really bad at expressing that change. So yes, he is. nobody knows that he has changed his mind about her. Oh, no. Including <laughs> Kel. That Kel, like, keeps thinking, like, oh, he keeps, like, telling me to do this because he, like, or he keeps, like, doing these things because he hates me and he doesn't respect me. And it's, like, actually, like, the opposite. Like, including, like, when, I guess, in Squire that he keeps, like, uh, like jousting against her. Yeah. <laughs> And Cleon's just like, do you want to die a virgin? I can fix this. (laughs) 
And she like, and she thinks that he's doing it like to teach her a lesson and he does beat her. But then after he's like, overall, good job. Here's a tip. He gives her advice. He's like, I wouldn't have started you in your third year, but Lord Raul was right to try. Like, you're doing good. Raise your shield more, please. Yeah. And the second time, she doesn't get knocked out. Yeah. She stays in the saddle. She's knocked silly. Right. And he still (laughs) wins. But also, like, Raul basically says, like, yeah, I wouldn't joust against Lord Wilden because I knew he'd win. (laughs) I haven't jousted against him in 10 years. And that was the last time I was unseated. I'm not crazy. Oh, goodness. I think it's really important that we talk about Lalasa. Yes, I love Lalasa so much. She's really great. Yeah. She is Keladri's very shy, very nervous maid that Gower brings to her. She's Gower's niece. And Gower, and Gower is like the palace assigned servant for yeah. Kel. And he's just like, she's very shy and she needs somebody to take care of her and i trust you i know that you're going to do the right thing please protect like my only family in the world yeah well and also there is a indication i think that she had prior to that some kind of traumatic experience based on like a one line thing i think potentially like i like certainly rape but i think potentially also incest based on like a one yeah uh we find out that her brother yeah had assaulted her yeah. And her parents just, like, didn't were believe like, her, eh. would not yeah. care. And yeah. then all of her family were killed by raiders. So she had to, like, make her way to Chorus to be with her only family, which was Gower. Yeah. And Gower had been labeled by the family as, like, the black sheep because he had odd ideas about respecting women. <laughs> oh. Right? Oh, no. What strange ideas, Gower. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, because she's so shy and she's been traumatized and she has PTSD, like, she can't serve in, like, a mixed setting, really. Like, being around men is really traumatizing for her. Right. And especially because, as I think they the books make really clear, there is essentially a kind of ever-present threat of sexual assault yeah. for palace maids who the elite men in the palace see as essentially being sexually available to them yeah and even serving kel doesn't save lalasa she's assaulted more times after that unfortunately kel is nearby and is able to come to the rescue right but what if she hadn't been right exactly and i also i mean i i love that kel she like trains her to defend it like trains her in self-defense basically yeah and tells lalasa i know it scares you i don't care you have to learn this yeah and i love that like so eventually we have like lalasa manages to like throw kel and she's like oh my god i'm so sorry you're going to fire me and kel's like no this is great like great job i'm so impressed because Lalasa's, uh, I feel like Lalasa never had a friend until Kel. Yeah. And that's really yeah. what it is. And there's so yeah. many really good scenes. Lalasa's there to talk Kel through uh, getting her period and also like developing yeah. her breasts. And <laughs> Lalasa's just like, good news, you're a woman now. And Kel's just <laughs> like, fuck. Ugh. She's like, I have no, I don't have fucking time for this. And then she cries. <laughs> There's a really sweet scene between Kel and Lalasa where Kel's crying and Lalasa says something about how, like, Kel's so strong and she never cries. Like, not even when her terrible, terrible horse steps on her foot. And Kel's just (laughs) like, he doesn't mean it. (laughs) And also she's like, am I going to be like this every month? Oh, Kel. Kel had it a little easier than Alana. (laughs) 
she knew. She was prepared. Her mom definitely right. did tell her. But she was just yeah, like, she got, like, a warning, at least. And also, like, having Lulasa yeah. there is nice. Like, that she, like, had, like, a, like, slightly older girl who is, yeah. like, able. Because Lulasa is, like, I think, like, a few years older than Cal. Yeah, I think she's 16 to yeah. Cal's 12. Yeah. I want to say. And, like, it's never explicitly said in the books, but... Lalasa is gay. Right? Like, she, like, has a lot of sleepovers with her lady friend. Yeah, with Tian. <laughs> and, like, they run the like, shop uh-huh. together. Like, I see. Yeah. And I also, see. yeah, that, like, Lalasa's, like, really good. Like, she's, you know, just, like, fixing up and, like, uh, and like sewing Kel's clothing. But then it's increasingly clear that, like, she's really good at this. Yeah. And uh, they, like, put aside all the, and, like, they put aside money. And she, like, is able, she, like, is able to open her own dress shop. And she's making dresses for the queen. And it's, it's so nice. It's really good. I'm very yeah. happy that Lalasa gets her happily ever after. I am, too. And just, uh, nothing bad can happen to Lalasa. Yes. Well, and that's, like, the big drama of, uh, like, that's the big climax of the second book. Mm-hmm. Is that somebody kidnaps, uh, so it's, like, obviously Joran, but we don't officially find that out until yeah. the next book. But clearly it's Joran. Joran kidnaps Lalasa and also Kel's dog, Jump, who is also delightful. There's a lot of delightful animals. <laughs> I love Jump. <laughs> <laughs> so he, like, kidnaps them. And uh, Kel is, like, is afraid of heights and has been, like, trying to tackle this, but it's a struggle. But kidnaps them and takes them to the top of Baylor's Needle, which, you know, it's it's really tall. Yeah. It's a really tall tower. And she has to not only, like, climb up to get them, but then also she has to go down by way of, like, this, like, side stair, which is, like, totally in the open air, which uh, my, my mom's afraid of heights, or she's, she's, like, actually been very impressive at, like, getting over it, but, like, you know, for a long time was very afraid of heights. She would, like, fucking murder somebody rather than have to go down that head, go down something like that. Yeah, I can feel that. I am, I like being high up. Uh-huh. I do not like the prospect of falling. <laughs> Right. If I don't feel stable, that's when the fear starts to kick in. But if I'm on something that's like, I know that I'm not going to fall off of this thing, then I'm not scared. Right. Like, I wouldn't say I have a fear of heights at all. But like, even with that, like, with that never have been having been something that bothers me, like this staircase that like, it's open air. And it also seems like it's like, like, every now and then, like, there's like, oh, this stair is just like rusted through and doesn't exist anymore. Like, fuck, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. And like, there's three in a row. And it's and she's like, carrying and like, the dog is hurt, I think. And she's like, carrying him like Jesus. Yeah, it's very trying and very upsetting. And Lalasa the whole time is just trying to like, talk her up and like, I knew that you would come for me. You are not like any other noble that I've ever met. Nobles don't give a shit. You actually care. And you have showed up time and time again. And I always knew that I could trust you. And of course they were kidnapped. So basically, so the pages now have these like exams that they have to take before becoming a squire, yep. which also seems to have been something that's like instituted because like, they're like, clearly Alana like only got this because of magic. So like, clearly we need like more tests and she's about to like miss these big examinations. And uh, so, yeah. And so because of that, they basically like did this to make her miss them. Yeah. Her options were attend the tests and then have everyone find out that she shirked her duty to her servant who she's supposed to care for and protect or miss the tests and have to repeat all four years as a page. Right, that that's potentially what could happen. And also that like, in addition to that, everyone would find out that she shirked her duty. Also that like, she, I think is also genuinely worried. What if something happens to them like that I could have prevented by com- like by going yeah. earlier? Like, What if Lalasa rolled out 
into the open air right. and fell off the platform. Like, right. And while she doesn't initially know what the deal is, like, what if, like, if I don't call, like, if, like, nobody comes within an hour, what if somebody just murders them? Like, yeah. she has no way of knowing that that wouldn't happen. Exactly. And, like, Kel is too caring to let yes. something like that happen to Lalasa, like or jump it, for that matter or like jump or yeah anyone like if she was given a note saying like there is a stranger at the top of a tower and you have to miss your examinations or else they will die she'd be like well i guess i'm missing missing these examinations yeah oh, that sucks yeah she would not think twice and they do like allow her to then take her exams after they find out the extenuating circumstances exactly and she, of course passes which is fair to her yes one of the things I was really thinking about at the end of the of the second book, in a lot of ways, the stakes are much smaller than they are in most of the like climactic moments of uh, the Song of the Lioness Quartet, because like a lot of those are basically like, if like you don't do this thing, the entire kingdom is like mm-hmm. ruined forever. Yeah. Whereas for Kel, it's much more personal and much more yeah. like on the ground. Alana was an instrument of fate. Whereas Kel is an instrument of her own fate. Yes. And while her experience as a knight will definitely make it easier for other women to go for their shield and for other women to learn to fight, Mm -hmm. she's not doing this because the goddess came to her and told her that she had to do it. She's doing this because that's who she is. Yeah, anything. Right. Yeah, that anything she does is entirely like very self-directed, essentially. But the stakes do raise, like, significantly in book four. Yeah, they're just true. But the other thing is that even with the stakes in some ways being lower, there are ways in which these books seem much darker because I think they reckon with the realities of misogyny, they reckon with the class, they reckon with sexual assault in ways that The Song of the Lioness really doesn't. Yeah. Because Kel has a lot more to do with people outside of her realm of nobility. Right. That, I mean, Alana, like, Alana knows the rogue, but, like, they're kind of their own thing. Yeah. Kel interacts with servants. She interacts with everyday people all the time. And she takes her duty as a noble to protect people very seriously. Yeah. In book three, we see a lot of situations where Kel feels that she's failed her in her duty because mm-hmm. we have one of the squires who assaulted Lalasa comes mm-hmm. out of his ordeal ready to make a confession and he confesses that he was behind a series right. of rapes and assaults that happened a couple of years before and if Kel had reported it then it might not have happened yeah like if Kel had reported his assault on Lalasa then he might not have gone on to rape those women and it is this like really upsetting moment and it's you know it's something that like feels very real and relevant in terms of the kind of things that people have to grapple with yeah i mean in terms of like i mean because velasa asks her not to report it right it reminds me of there's actually an episode of brooklyn 99 that covers this yeah where the conversation is between rosa and amy and amy is very much in favor of like no report it fight it fight mm-hmm. against this because you deserve justice and rosa is like take the money and run because he's not going to get yeah. punished for it and you deserve yeah. to get something out of it unfortunately even though they do fight it she doesn't she gets win, fired and she gets fired yeah and it would have been better for her to take the money and just leave and yeah and the loss is basically like nothing's gonna really happen like he'll probably at most get basically like a slap on the wrist and a fine. like he'll get like a fine maybe like, he'll have to pay you a fine yeah. if you if you report him. Like, that's all that's going to happen. Which is something else that did happen. Uh, they finally found out that it was Joran who paid the men to kidnap Lalasa. And- right. And he has to pay a 
large-ish fine. Yeah. And all it means is that that's how much it costs to commit the crime. Right, exactly. Like, and especially for, like, very wealthy nobles, like, for Joran, it's, like, it's clear that for his family, like, it's a drop in the bucket, essentially. Yeah, it's nothing. And the judge tried to, like, lay on as much as possible to, like, make him feel it, but there was only so much he could do. And that is also, like, it's really interesting as we see the Chamber of the Ordeal as having this much more activist role than it seems to have in Song of the Lioness Mm -hmm. because we see so Vincent comes out and uh, uh, so he's like confesses and also like in relation to that like he keeps physically feeling the blows that he inflicted upon these women yep so it's this like permanent physical consequence either permanent or like until he confesses and is punished or like I don't know exactly how it works but like I think it's until like every single blow he's ever doled out has been felt upon him yeah which is intense but also like fucking good yeah it's poetic justice baby yeah and and Joran just straight up dies As he deserves. As he, yeah, like, okay, fine, sure, whatever. Like, yes, good. Which is also, like, I was, like, surprised because I was, like, I was, like, I know Joran's gonna, like, come back and do something else shitty. And then it's, like, oh, nope. Nope. Bye. (laughs) I actually, like, once thought about, like, an alternate universe. Because sometimes I write fanfic to make myself sad. I mean, who doesn't, (laughs) right? And I was just, like, oh, what if I wrote a fanfic about Joran not dying? And then he decides to turn on the crown and joins up with Scanra. To do like, all the that's, terrible things. That's the kind of thing that I think I, like, expected, essentially, would yeah. have been something like that. That he would just turn on the crown entirely and join up with Scanra and also help in murdering children because he's right. awful. God, yeah. I hate Jorn of Stone Mountain. One of my friends yes. wanted to, like, cosplay him and I was like, don't do it. He nope. doesn't deserve it. <laughs> he oh, does not deserve not. the attention. Absolutely not. <laughs> do not give him the attention. Yeah. Not when Neelan of Queen's Cove exists. Right? Yeah. And Domaton. Ugh. Yeah. Neil's hot cousin. <laughs> yes. Hot Neil's hot cousin. <laughs> it's just a gorgeous family all around. I know, right? <laughs> Which is also funny because, so, like, Neil's father is Duke Baird, who we meet as just, like, the palace healer. Alana, like, interacts with him, like, not extensively, but, like, a little here and there. And uh, then it's like, oh, like, is Duke, was Duke Baird secretly really hot the whole time? <laughs> commented on it because she likes older men but not that older (laughs) what i like is when kel meets him and talks to him and he's like the lady elaine that i knew was quite formidable please remember her uh remember me to her like we used to dance together and kel's just like i'm sorry you what you what (laughs) (laughs) apparently mindle well elaine wouldn't have been a mindelin at the time right (laughs) elaine passed on her love for the queen's cove men apparently Apparently. <laughs> oh my god. But I also really like that Joran is like the most beautiful man that Kel has ever seen, but he's also a piece of shit. Yeah, absolutely. Like normally my type is the biggest piece of shit or the biggest Hufflepuff, <laughs> but I was never once into Joran. I was just like, <laughs> nope. Nope. It's like, oh no. No, definitely not. Not that. Rosto, yes. Joran, no. <laughs> not about that life oh yeah no that's so that's awful. bad he's bad Joran sucks he's so bad but even though kel has these moments where she's confronted with the unfairness of the law and how cruel it can be to the people who it's supposed to protect she does get the courage to stand up to the king and tell him that law fucking yes. sucked and he's like 
yeah, no, actually, you're right. And uh, they, like, make a deal that, like, you know, they're going to, he's, like, basically, like, it'll be a slow process, but, like, you're right, we're gonna try and change it. And that's one of the reasons why whenever we want to shit on Jonathan, I'm like, but we have to remember that moment. That was a good moment. I'll, I'll give Jonathan that. He, as I said, Jonathan is, like, the Democratic Party. <laughs> yes. You have, feels- to, you have to vote for him. <laughs> Obviously, he's better than the alternative. <laughs> Everybody, please. I guess I guess by the time this gets released, the election will be over. Uh, but I really hope y'all went out and voted for Joe Biden and that he yeah. won. Uh, because if not, things are real bad. And then if he did win, we still continue to protest and stand up against exactly. the things that we are unfair. Exactly. We still have to protest because still, like... A, he's not, you know, he's not perfect and he's not going to do everything you want and he's going to compromise too much. But, you know, if you push him, he's going to do some good things and a lot less active evil. Yeah, like Jonathan. So that's King Jonathan. <laughs> King Jonathan is Joe Biden. Everybody. Yes. I can't wait to tell this to my husband. <laughs> uh, I have to introduce you to You'll get along. You'll get along real well. <laughs> Definitely. But it's moments like that that make me think that whenever Jonathan does something that is unfair, it's because there's something going on behind the scenes that he's orchestrating. And he's like, I will let you have this unfair thing because it will help me get this more fair thing later. Right. Yes. So, like, by letting Kel go on probation, he's at least getting Kel that chance. Right. And that's all she needs. She needs that foot in the door so she can change Wilden's mind about her. Right. And also, I mean, the ultimately, I think the fact that Kel got through despite being treated inherently unfairly, despite like the bullshit that like she and Alana can't ever meet each other, despite all of that trash, she still got through. And the fact that she did that is going to make it a lot harder to argue against uh, women being eligible to train as knights. Especially since she doesn't have the gift. Exactly, right. So nobody can make any claims that it's all that like, oh, it was just magic. Yeah. Which also, by the way, are such bullshit because like magic doesn't fucking work that way. Like, (laughs) You know how magic works. (laughs) Like if Alana was like using the gift to like win every fight, like she would just like drop like a fucking rock at the end of it. Yeah. Every time. It's just, you guys know how magic works. It's something you see every day. Yeah. (laughs) Why are you like this? (laughs) Men. Men are the worst. Men are trash, everybody. (laughs) But it's also good for her to be squire to Lord Raoul, who is constantly in the public eye. Yes, and I love Raoul. Uh, So I think we we talked about this a little in the last episode. Raoul, I certainly, like, assumed was being set up as a, a gay character. In that, like, there's a lot of, like, emphasis on the fact that, like, he's not married and everybody comments on this. And including, like, when he first uh, says that he's going to have Cal as his squire, one of his, like, second-in-command people says, like, you know they're going to be, like, saying you're sleeping with her immediately. And he's like, yeah, they've been saying I'm sleeping with other dudes for years. It's fine. Whatever. Who cares? (laughs) He just doesn't care. I love (laughs) Raul. He's so, like, playful and kind and caring, and he, like, believes in doing a good job, and he believes in protecting people, and he fights with Jonathan. Yes, I really like that Raul. I always liked Raul. Like, I, like, Raul's always, like, really charming. I really liked that I feel like Raul really, like, grew up to be the best possible version of the person that he was as a young man. Yes, I agree. Like, we had Raul defending Alan. 
and like being very into protecting Alan. <laughs> right. And also like that. Yeah. Definitely had a crush on Alan. Yeah. And just like growing up to be someone who defends other people and believes the best of other people. Yeah. He turned the King's Own, which was originally supposed to be like a decorative command fighting force into like a real fighting force like they actually right and like they're really like on the front lines uh, and are really essential and yeah and that's really impressive and yeah and he ultimately i uh so you know canonically i'll I'll just i'm going to assume that rule is by yeah uh because he ultimately gets together with burry which is a really cute relationship i do have to say yeah (laughs) and kel orchestrated that shit (laughs) right and i also like you know what i like that you know he likes a well you know he likes a woman who can fight yeah that's all that he really cares about. Yeah. Just like someone who can speak their mind, who can defend themselves. Yeah. Who he can easily talk to. That's all he needs. Yeah. Oh, they're so good together. Raul also is adorable when, so so Kel has in, uh, in Squire has this relationship with Cleon, one of the, uh, the older Squires, which is very cute. It is very cute. He starts off like making Kel like fetch things for him because that's the accepted hazing practice. Right. It's like he like light hazes her and he like, do- like and while he's like light hazing her, he's like, Kel, like, oh, pearl of pages, my dove, whatever. <laughs> he uses all this flowery language towards her. And then when she's no longer, like, eligible for hazing, he still uses that language. And then right. he gets very weird about it when somebody calls him out. <laughs> right. He's like, I-, I didn't do anything. It's like, what? Nobody noticed anything. <laughs> and Kel's just like, oh, I know you're teasing. He's like, yes, definitely. It's exactly it's what was happening. It's just a joke. I'm going definitely to joke. leave now. <laughs> Yeah, so they get together for a little while, and I really like that. It was very cute. And Raul is just like, do we need to talk about sex? (laughs) Right, I love that Raul is like, he's like, do we need to have the sex talk? And Kel is like, no, it's cool, I did with my mom. And he's like, oh, thank Jesus. (laughs) We can, if you want, I'm here for you. And she's like, no. (laughs) He's like, I understand this is my job. I will do this. And she's like, and but he's like always also clearly like so relieved when she says no. But he does give her really practical advice about being a yeah. woman in command. Yes. And I really like that. And I can, like, and he uses the example of Burry and it's all, like as like somebody who like has that experience. Yeah. Because in the Queen's writers groups, women rise to command really easily. And if they take a lover within their groups, it can foster, like, jealousy. It yeah. can create a lot of really bad blood. And it gives Kel something serious to think about. Right. And it is, like, and it's something that I feel like the way Raul presents it, he is, I think, acknowledging that it's a double standard and that a man in command over women would not have that same experience. And he's not justifying it, but he's, like, he is saying, like, un- like this is the way it is. Yeah. This is something that you might encounter, and I want yeah. you to be ready for it. Yeah. Rather than ha- be blindsided and not know what to do. Exactly. You know, and that's one of the ways that Kel and Raul are so good for each other. <laughs> they really are. I really like their, like, mentorship relationship. I think it's really yeah. nice. You're so good. Yeah. I also, okay, I like her relationship with Kel, and I think it's really, or her relationship with Cleon, and I think it's really nice. But I also really like that she, like, hasn't seen him in a long time, and then she sees him again, and she kind of realizes that she's not sure she's still that into him. And also then he's like, by the way, I, like, have to do my arranged marriage. Like, it's a money thing. I, like, have no choice, basically. I have to do it, like, tomorrow. And she's, like, a little relieved. And she basically says, like, 
I don't think that like a romantic relationship is my priority right now. And it's not. And that's totally okay. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be her priority now. It doesn't have to be her priority ever. As a happily single person, I really appreciate that. Um, I think we talked uh, off air a little bit about the possibility that she is, uh, you know, a romantic uh, potentially or like gray romantic or something. Yeah, I think that has been confirmed uh, as canon. But, you know. It is what you make of it. Yeah. Like, once it is out of the author's hands, you have control over this shit. Right. Yeah. You read this how you want to. Yeah. And I I really like that, like, as much as I also, like, I appreciate the, like, very, the, like, emphasis on sex positivity in Alana that, like, she has various lovers and, like, there's not any, like, judgment of that. I mean, from the author, there's judgment occasionally from other characters. But, like, in the context of the book, like, it's just, like, very casual. It's just, like, very, like, casually, like, yes, and, like, this is, like, what she's doing and the choices that she's making and they are all fine. Yeah, I completely agree. I like that, but I also really like in this book the fact that, like, she doesn't need to have a romantic relationship because like that's not what she wants to focus on at least for right now and that that's also fine which is a huge departure from Alana where like everybody was pairing off yeah and in this like there's there's a bit of pairing off at the end uh, where we have Raul and Burry uh obviously like we have like Roald's uh arranged marriage with Shinko Kami but also uh Neil gets together with one of the uh Yamani ladies whose name I Yes, Yuki. Yeah, which is very nice also. Yeah. So, you know, so it's like a little bit of like pairing off, but like not, you know, but there's like not too much of it. So much happens in Lady Night. Like we haven't even touched on Lady Night. I know, right. Although uh, the one thing I'm going to say before we get into Lady Night is that she does finally meet Alana. And also like she's had this like mysterious benefactor for years who reading this, I'm like, cool, this is obviously Alana, but Kel finds out that it's Alana, so... There's a moment at the end of Squire where Kel and Alana finally meet. And it's Alana, really sweet. It's so sweet. And it makes me really emotional because Alana is just like, God's bless you. You are real. And yes. just talking about how every time Kel went out and on, onto the jousting field, there were girls in the stands watching her talking yes. about her style and it the was, things that she oh did. Oh, my God. And it's just, ah, uh, my heart. Yeah. And it's just like, it's really nice. And I... I like that, like, the book isn't, like, a... T- I, like, I think it's a good choice that the book is not... Like, it makes sense plot-wise, but also I think it makes sense in terms of, like, not having too much of a focus on that past character. Like, I think it makes sense that, like, Alana is not, like, a super prominent, like, mentor figure for her. Yeah. And honestly, Alana doesn't have as much to offer Kel in mentorship in terms right. of, like, the practicality of being a knight. Or in terms of, like, what Kel's specific, like, skills are. Yeah. Like, they ultimately, like, have very different skills. And Raul is actually really, in terms of, like, the fact that she has these, like, command skills, Raul is clearly the best person to mentor her. Yeah, exactly. And, like, Neil was going to go to university to become a healer, but because two of his brothers died in service to the crown, right. he left so he can become the new knight on behalf of Queen's Cove. And actually Alana is in a lot of ways, I feel like a really good fit for him because she's somebody who has figured out how to have uh, her magic and her, and her, you know, knight skills like work together. Yeah, exactly. And I think like that is really helpful for him in addition to like that maybe she'll like whip him into shape in terms (laughs) of actually being like better at some of the like military stuff. But I feel like she won't let him that she'll like call him out on his shit. They have a really good temperament matching because they're both like very quick 
with their tongues. Yeah. Like, Neil will say whatever is on his mind, and so will Alana. And Alana won't take any shit from anyone, least of all her squire. Yes. <laughs> and when you see them together, it's just very good and very well executed. It is. Yeah, so now we should talk about Lady Knight because a lot happens. So much happens in Lady Knight. Kel is finally a knight. And she got a task. She got yeah. a little thing extra from the Chamber of the Ordeal. Thanks, Chamber of the Ordeal. <laughs> what a pal. Constantly sending her nightmares about it, too. Right, yeah. So, like, it shows her this, like, nice, fun man who is murdering children and using them to fuel, like, robots. This character the nothing man uh he's creepy as fuck he's like a weird ass necromancer and he doesn't need the souls of children to fuel his they could be the souls of anybody but he likes using the souls of children because he's creepy and a pedophile yup it's really fucking creepy it's really bad oh my god and kel the second she like sees this man she's like tell me where this is happening i will wreck his shop I will yeah. fuck him up so bad. But she basically doesn't get to just go off and, like, murder him because she is, a, you know, a war starts and she is given, or, you know, the war has started and she is given an official position. So Lord Wilden is the one who is assigning her and he assigns her to be the, to run this refugee camp. And this is another one of these really interesting moments because she assumes that it's because he doesn't trust her to actually like be a real knight and do that real kind of knightly work and like military work but he basically says it's because uh, a it's because i actually trust you to be in command which she has to be but also in addition you're the only person that i think will actually give a shit about these people enough to do a good job exactly this is another one of those situations where wilden is just so bad (laughs) at expressing his like yeah belief in kel where he's like oh ghost apples i really have to like express my feelings to you god <laughs> damn it why can't you just figure it out i hate talking about emotions <laughs> why do you make me do this mindolin <laughs> and like you said it is really because she is the only one who will actually care about these people and do yeah. right by them whereas like if merrick is in charge yeah he could probably command okay but are the people going to be his first concern? Probably not. Right. That there is, I mean, it's very much emphasized in these books. And this is another way in which like things are darker and that it is really emphasized throughout that fundamentally the nobles see common people as like less people than they are. Yeah. And Kel has to deal with that attitude from commoners as well, expecting her to be that way. Right, and then she isn't, and it is a surprise. And then there are the merchants. Yeah. <laughs> when the merchants show up, I haven't fully reread Lady Knight yet, but I do have a clear memory of the merchant showing up, and this guy, like, insulting Kel straight to her face, makes some yep. comments about her being a slut, and also says something about her periods, and she's just like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. You get to be on uh, latrine duty. <laughs> For the rest of your stay here, basically. Congratulations. Good and then job. he's like, that's bullshit. And she's like, why? I've been on latrine duty. It's fine. Go do your job. And just, uh, I love it. And she's also very much like, I've heard this shit before. Yeah, like, do you think you Sorry. can say anything to me that I have not already heard? Yeah, like, do you think you're original, my friend? You're not original. Yeah, no. 
when all these people oh wait no before we talk about that we have to talk about toby <laughs> yes so she she picks up you know like hell picks up strays like this one she has like ever she goes like she has this like flock of birds of sparrows, sparrows who just like her, moved into her, her room and now they're like like they're fucking spies they are the sparrows she, are just spies now she sends them into the woods to scout for her they they're the ones that found the spidrin in the first place yep they're the ones that sounded the alarm when they were attacked by that first monster. But she has all these animals. Yeah. And she encounters Toby, who is a young boy who has been badly abused by the man who owns him, I guess. Or he was, uh, I think technically it's like essentially like a, it, it's like a servant. It's like a yeah. service contract. It's like an indentured servant, I think. And especially like it's pretty common like in terms of like the real medieval context, it would be pretty common that you would have these like service contracts that essentially like are commending very young children in service to a master who like basic like is expected to provide for them, but also can like basically make them do kind of whatever can like do kind of whatever. And there's not necessarily a lot of oversight in terms of like how well they're providing for them. Right. And Kel finds out exactly how bad this kid has it. And she's just like, yeah, yeah no, I'm not letting this happen. And yeah, buys the contract, and and also like he's uh, the kid is like uh, has like a little like horse magic yeah. situation. And Peach, and Blossom Peach Blossom does Blossom not step him. on him. Yeah, because she first so like I think weird. she finds him with Peach Blossom, and she's like, "Fuck, this kid is gonna die. <laughs> you are going to be murdered." <laughs> So and sorry. then he doesn't. But yeah, so we have Toby, who is like her new her new stray, who is very charming. There's a moment when Kel like takes in Toby. She decides like this kid is hers now. She has Neil like look him over and like heal mm-hmm. all of his bruises, his breaks, everything. And Neil then goes and finds the guy who did it and puts magic on him. Yes. So that way, if this man ever hits anyone else, he'll also feel it. And it was inspired yeah. by the chamber. Uh-huh. And Neil is just so, good. so intense so good, about it. And I'm just like, <sighs> Neil of Queen's Cove. Yes. Neil of Queen's Cove. I'm very into this. <laughs> <laughs> He's so great. He's so good. <laughs> just uh, the sense of like justice that Kel inspires in these other people, because I don't think necessarily Neil might've been that way before he met Kel. Yeah. It's seeing the way that she is about people that inspires other people to do the same. Right. And that's also related to like, I mean, one it's, there's a lot of reasons why she's so good at command. And part is that she clearly has like that kind of like strategic mind. Like she thinks the right way to, like organize things for command but it is also that she inspires people when she talks people listen yeah like she is like there's a lot of very clear ways in which she is a good commander and a good leader yeah and i don't know why lord wilden was fucking surprised when all of her people get kidnapped she right defied her commands and went after them (laughs) right and it's like raul even like when he's like we see like raul talking to wilden and he's like, you gave her an order? What the fuck was the point of that? You know she's going to go. Why the fuck did you tell her not to? Why did you not just, What's like, wrong with you? tie her up and throw her over a horse? Have you met her? Right. <laughs> like, you trained her for four years. What is wrong with you? And just, 
all the knights are like, well, we can't let this happen. We have to leave now. Yeah. <laughs> because they're so inspired by her. And, like, if she goes out and becomes a hero, yes, then what so the hell great. do they look like? Yeah, it's so great. And she gets, uh, you know, and this brings her to the Nothing Man. Who's so and gross. He's so gross and creepy. And he's also got, like, a gross, creepy dude who kidnaps kids for him. And he sucks, too. It's and she kills both of them. so awful. Because, like, the warlord Magger basically gave this guy this village to rule over. Yeah. And he, that, like, like, you can take this children to murder children and to make my, like, cool robots. And, uh, it just, it's, uh. it's, it's, ugh. And it's interesting when she kills him that he basically says, like, don't kill me. You want my servant. You want to, like, bring me back and, you know, I'll give my services to your king. Like, A, fuck that. Yeah, but right. B, also, like, I feel like Kel is basically like, I don't think Jonathan would do that, but I don't want to give him the temptation. Yeah, exactly. Like, mm, I don't want to serve a king who would use your services. So how about we kill you? Yep. Okay. Also, so there is a cat. One of, you know, so one of the additional, like, creatures. There is a cat who ends up, like, joining them for this, like, last, like, ba- this, like, big, like, fight against Stenman and uh, Blaze, the nothing man. And the cat, based on how it is described, sounds a lot like my cat in terms of, like, physical descriptions. And I, like, shrieked in horror when I thought the cat died when it's, like, crucial in helping her fight Stenman, I think. Yeah, I think that's the name of the guy. And then, like, she brings the cat's body back and it turns out it's not all the way dead and they're able to heal the cat. And I was, like, fucking, like, sitting there sobbing. I'm like, Carmen, you're okay! I think after what happened with Faithful, anytime a cat might die, she has to, like, like, fix it immediately. (laughs) Because there's also a moment in The Immortals where a kitten dies and, uh, like, Dane, like, uses her connection. In this too, when uh, when like the the very beginning, yeah. there's like a spindrin that she comes across like right before she starts her training, and she's like sitting there and like trying to fight it while it's like fucking like snacking on kittens yep. out of a bag, like popcorn. <sighs> it's gross and terrible. Yeah. So yeah. So I feel like yeah, she's she's got a lot. Of, she's got a lot to answer for in terms of cat deaths. <laughs> oh, you might want to be careful reading Battle Magic. Oh. Oh no. <laughs> Oh no. Um, but this village, when Kel finally reaches it, there is a one girl left in it, and she is actually kind of a prophet. I think she's connected yeah. to the Chamber of the Ordeal. Right, yeah. And the chamber like speaks through her. Or they're feeding into the same I was wondering if they're connected or if they're like the same thing is speaking through both of them in or something. Maybe. We don't really know a lot about uh where the chamber of the ordeal comes from. I remember right. reading that it was a relic of the old ones. Yes. Because the palace was built on old ones, um Right. Ruins. Yes, thank you. I was like, it's a word. <laughs> I know words. It's okay. It is a relic of the old one, so it could be that whatever she gets her prophesying from comes from the same thing. Mm-hmm. We don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot about magic that we don't know in Tortal. Yeah, but yeah, and this girl like knew Kel was going to come and calls her the protector of the small, and Kel's like, "That's dumb. Don't call me that." <laughs> She's like, "That's a dumb fucking name," and it's like, "That's the name of this privilege of this quartet." <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me very happy. I love when they, like, reference the title in a significant way. Right. 
<laughs> and Kel's just like, that's stupid. Don't call me that. It's always like, so it's so like Arrested Development has that bit where somebody says Arrested Development and then like the narrator says, hey, that's the name of this show. <laughs> and I do that every, and like, I do that automatically every time you see the name of the title, like the, t- the name of the title in something that you're reading. I'm like, hey, that's the name of this book. John and I go, they did the thing. <laughs> that's what we do. Um, but once everyone is rescued and all the people from her refugee camp like fight their way out the kids who have been cleaned and groomed and given toys it's just so upsetting yes and it's like oh god like it's just so fucking creepy so bad but all the kids escape yes all the kids get out thank god there's no further child death that we have to witness Because also, like, the robots, like, it's fucking creepy. Like, you, like, kill these robots, right? And then, like, a little, like, ghost thing comes out of them and it's like, Mama? And I, like, the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, hell no. Nope. And I'm surprised that that didn't come up in conversations with, like, Raul and Miles and anyone else. Right. Talking about what's going on in the North. Just trying to figure out what kind of magic fuels these things. I feel like it's important for you to say, so I think it might have been a, the ghost of a child. <laughs> yeah, like that seems like relevant, like a relevant thing to describe that definitely horrifying so. experience. Oh my God. Uh, <sighs> and then like, that's it. Blyce yeah, is dead. And she, yeah. And she gets back and she's like, well, I assume I'm going to be like strung up on treason charges. And Wilden's like, no, I guess probably not. Start a new, start a new camp. It'll be fine. <laughs> I retroactively sent you to go get them, I guess. Right. <laughs> Mindelin, I wish you'd been born a boy. <laughs> right. And, you know, and that is the thing that's interesting with Wilden is that he still, like, you know, he still, like, is a deeply prejudiced person. And I can't say exactly that I like him, but I appreciate seeing him change. Yeah, for the I better. like him better than I did in book one. Yes. That he, you know, he's like the person who like voted for Trump, who like gradually you've actually convinced, and he's vote and he's voting for Biden this <laughs> <Yes>. time. <laughs> That's a very good comparison. <laughs> I think that is it. I'm trying yeah. to think if there's anything else important that we have to talk about. I think that's everything to, to yeah. Toby calls Kel mother at one point, and I'm just like, oh my heart. <laughs> <laughs> you sweet it's so child. Cute. So sweet. I think that's the only thing. Toby. Just one more statement about Kel's strays is that it is worth mentioning that she like fucking like adopts a baby griffin. Oh, we didn't talk about the griffin. I hate the griffin. (laughs) The griffin is like, she's like, well, I can't really do anything about it because like it won't like, you know, let anybody else take it. But like, it just like injures me literally every five seconds and like wrecks all of my shit but i guess i'm stuck with it to get attached to it she still gets upset when it I has know. To go home. like its parents come back and she's like crying and she's like the fuck what is wrong with me it's a little savage and i hate it it's like literally a monster the thing with the griffin is that if griffins smell their child on a human, they will yes. kill them. So, like, Dane has to, like, go and, like, talk to the parents to be like, okay, you're gonna smell it. You're gonna smell that there's a human, but I promise this one's okay. I promise. Please don't kill her. She has been taking care of your child, just waiting to get it back to you. She yeah, rescued- she, she 
Exactly. She took your kid from the people who stole the kid from you, and she just wants to bring the kid back, and she's good. It's fine. Please don't murder her. And they don't. They, like, even give her, like, a whole bag of feathers, like... And the feathers are helpful, because, like, when you're... So she, like, makes this, like, headband out of them, and that, like, allows you to, like, see magic or, like, distinguish when magic is being done. To see the truth. Yeah, to see the truth, to, like, distinguish, like, truth between, like, illusions that are created by magic. And so, like, at the end, it's actually crucial in allowing her to kill Blaze because he, like, creates all of these, like, fake versions of himself. But when she, like, puts, like, on, like, the feather headband, then she can, like, find the real one and stab him. Yeah, and also griffin feathers are great on arrows because your arrows will fly truer. Yeah, and, like, that's actually probably why the griffin baby was taken in the first place, right, is because they're very valuable. Also, like, it's impossible to lie near a griffin. Yeah. Like, you it's just good, can't. Good yeah. Griffins, very interesting. We learn a lot about them in The Immortals. I look forward to revisiting The Immortals. I'm very excited for, like, all of your thoughts on the ones that you haven't read yet. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, yeah, revisiting The Immortals and, re- and reading the others for the first time. Especially when you get to, like, Circle of Magic, which is yeah. very different in terms of like medieval history like there's mm-hmm. less of a focus on kings and queens and right. knights and it's more about nobility in a very renaissance way i want to say hmm. okay interesting the ruler of the main country is a duke and not a king okay so it's like yeah that like italian style yeah yeah which is uh I'm just going to be obnoxious and pedantic. It's like that. That I would say is like a regional thing more than like a time thing. Yeah. That like the uh, that like the Italian peninsula is divided in both the uh, medieval and the early modern periods is divided into basically like city states essentially or like smaller polities that yeah tend to be under the rule of a duke. And that's also true of like the Holy Roman Empire, which I think is very interesting. I know nothing about this. I'm just like. This is different. That's it. That's all I got. Tortle is interesting in that I am not sure I have a clear statement on like, if there's like a country it's supposed to be. I mean, I kind of just all just like vaguely assumed like, I don't know, England, because like whenever most people do medieval inspired fantasy, it's always fucking England. Yeah. But something that I came across when I was just doing some like general Googling is that some people have suggested that it's the Iberian Peninsula, which of course wasn't actually like, like Spain was not like one kingdom in the Middle Ages, but like, we'll ignore that part. But it's like, as if like, (laughs) that was actually like a kingdom. And then thinking of the... Uh, the Bazir is then like being the like Muslims who were still like living in the Iberian Peninsula and like ruling part of it oh, for yeah. much of its history. That would make sense. Yeah. I think Emelon is very similar to like Turkish. Mm-hmm. And there's like the ne- the Namornese, which are very, um, I want to say Scandinavia, but that could be like not entirely right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guess what is it's also not right. my forte. <laughs> Uh, in Skanra, I'm assuming is Scandinavia based on yeah. like the names of the people who are there. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, when you get to Emelon, I am particularly invested. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about that at some point in the future. Since you, I believe you have agreed to be my like Tamara Pierce yes, uh, correspondent I am happy to for be the foreseeable future. Yes. Like, I will talk about Tamara Pierce ad nauseum. I have like all of the books lined up on the fireplace. I have pictures of my of my husband's black cat draped over them it's very good yeah Um, i love her so much one of my favorite things that she's ever said was that in the 60s and 70s i could not be a feminist because to be a feminist you had to be a lesbian or celibate and i was neither (laughs) (laughs) i love her yeah 
when I grow up, fun. I would like to be Tamara Pierce. <laughs> yeah. That's and yeah, I, I, I feel like, I just, I like, she seems like a good person. She is. She's very kind. I once wrote yeah. a letter to Alana because I was doing this project where I wrote char- uh, letters to fictional characters and talked mm-hmm. about what I learned from them. And I wrote a letter to Alana and she found it and it made her really emotional. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> she posted it on Tumblr and she was like, if Alana read this, she would like get very choked up and then lock herself into a room so nobody could hear her cry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> She's very sweet. That's very sweet. Do you want to do the Vera e Paso? Yes. So yeah. So what did they get right? And what did they get wrong? So the first thing I will say is, if somebody actually studies pre-modern Japan, they should feel free to correct me. But I actually feel like the Yamani are based on the knowledge that I do have, feel like a much more culturally like thoughtful portrayal, at least. I would agree with that, especially since like Kel has so much deference for the Yamanis because that's what yeah. she was raised. There's never this sense that the Yamanis do anything like backwards or wrong. Anytime right. that somebody expresses that, it's very clear that it's a character we should not agree with. Right, exactly. And uh, and in general, I like from what I can tell, like it feels like uh, it feels like a culture that is like adapted from like medieval or pre-modern Japan in a way that like feels uh, thoughtful and like she put in some research and obviously like it's not identical but it like is done in a way that I think is responsible yeah and I think this is one of those ways in which Tamara Pierce has improved over time yeah with the Bazir we talked about she didn't really do a great job and if we think about Serene as like the Mongols potentially that also wasn't great so yeah like there wasn't a great amount of research for the people that she was drawing inspiration on. Whereas here, yes. I think there was because a naganata is an actual thing. A glaive is an right. actual thing. Yeah. So it's much more thoughtful. Yeah. I would yeah. agree with that entirely. I also really like that she takes baths and everybody takes baths. And there's like an emphasis on like, we have this child and he's dirty. We have to bathe him. And I really appreciate this because medieval people, in fact, bathed much more often than we might think they bathed. There is a lot of discourse about like medieval people, they bathe like once a year, lol, and just smelled all the time. And like, that's not true. You, you would, you know, you didn't necessarily bathe daily, but you know, you'd probably bathe the, you know, weekly ish or a couple of times a week. Yeah. And like Kel being a noble, having the access would probably yeah. bathe more frequently. Well, and also like doing the kind of heavy workout that she's doing, like yeah. it actually, yeah, like it's a necessity at that point. Right. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that like, that actually like that really like rings true to me that she like regularly bathes and that there is like a recognition of like baths as being a normal thing that people do. Yeah. Um, there was actually a really good scene where she went to one of the public baths and then yeah. the, the women in the bath thought that she'd been beaten by a man. Yes. <laughs> and they were like, we will help and protect you. And she's like, oh no, this is my fault. <laughs> I went jousting against Lord Raoul. I'm the one who fucked up here. <laughs> it's great. And yet I also like, you know, public baths. Like they're a real thing. Like people like would go to the public baths a couple of times a week. It's like a social experience. This is definitely around the time that she started doing um, Circle of Magic as well. And mm. in Circle of Magic, there is a lot of emphasis on different bathing cultures. Like yeah. some cultures huh. do the public baths where there's no separation of gender, where everybody just mm-hmm. bathes. And some people do the private baths and some people yeah. do the separation. And yes. one character is just like, 
I don't give a shit. Just give me a bath. Right. In in medieval Europe, technically, like in medieval Western Europe, typically it would have been uh, the public baths would have been gender divided. And also for reasons of like not wanting people of different faiths to socialize, they also would have been like religiously divided. Yeah. So there would have been like certain days on which like Muslims and Jews get to go to the baths. <laughs> but they're not at the baths at the same time as Christians. It's messed up. Yeah. Everyone deserves a bath. Right. <laughs> well, I prefer showers. That's just me. Well, yeah. But yeah. And so it's like, yeah, you could only like go to the baths on these specific days because like you shouldn't be like so because like there's this understanding of the public baths is a place where there's like socialization and people like coming into contact and chatting and you don't want that kind of like normalcy and ease of relationship between Christians and non-Christians. Yeah. So they have to go to the bath on different days or go to different baths. It's not great. Also not great. The other thing that unfortunately this very much gets right is the threat of rape posed to maids. That this is, you know, that they are an extremely vulnerable population. But of course, the thing that gets not entirely emphasized here because of the fact that we mostly are seeing this through Lalasa and Kel is her master, the biggest threat of rape to maids is probably from their own masters. Yeah. That there is a sense of their being sexually available. And also this is kind of referencing the fact that like, if somebody had raped Lalasa, the punishment would be that basically they'd have to pay a fine to Kel because Kel essentially owns uh, her maid's uh, sexual favors. Yeah. And like her time as well. Yeah. So like time taken away yeah. from Kel. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that similarly, like that was how like the rape of a servant would be punished is like you would have to basically like pay their master. Which is gross and terrible. Yep. Yep. But, you know, it is, uh, but as I said, but unfortunately then the like associated problem is that the assumption is basically that like nobody is going to complain and there's not that much legal recourse that you have if as a woman servant you are raped by your own master. Yeah. And I think getting the law changed was a really good first step toward giving uh, servants that kind of recourse and that safety. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if the punishment is no longer a fine, then it gives them a better shot at justice. Right. But of course, it's still, you know, but there's still so many other issues. I mean, especially when you take into account that a lot of them probably do get raped by their own masters. That means that maybe they have legal recourse, but like they're going to then get fired. Yeah. Almost certainly. And uh, and like no one is going to then hire them because like they're the maid who ratted out her master. Yeah. Which is messed up. Yeah. (sighs) It's obviously good that they're changing the law, but it certainly doesn't fix everything. No. It's a start. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Like, there's just so much about these books that are still relevant today, which is upsetting. Like, even though they're 20 years ago, it's still relevant. It is. And yeah, (laughs) that's not necessarily a good thing. No, it's not. It's upsetting. Like, the rape (sighs) culture is still bad. Yeah, it's still kind of basically the same. I mean, this is actually a thing that I talk about a lot with things set in the Middle Ages or in medieval-inspired universes, is that there's this, like, look, everybody's just being raped all of the time, and this is, like, why it's worse to be in the Middle Ages and in the modern world. And I'm like, I feel like you're just basically trying to, like, make rape culture now seem, like, not as bad by, like, making it seem worse in the past. Yeah, 100%. Like, I can't pick up fantasy where it's just common practice for characters to be raped and just, like, not say anything about it. Like, at least in something like this, this is a commentary against it. 
Exactly. Right. As opposed to just like, oh, that's how it was back then. It, it just was just is. everybody was being raped all the time. And that's just like a social norm with this implicit like you should be glad you have it better today because you do question mark. That's why yeah. Name of the Wind kind of sucks. Fight me. I, I I hate that book so much. I fucking hate it. Absolutely Good. fucking hate it. Well, oh my God. A fuck boy. <laughs> you can fight me about it. Yeah, I... I read both of them like in very quick succession because uh, like I was traveling and I like finished one and it was like enough of like a page turner that I finished it quickly and I like wanted to know what happened. And at that time in between books one and two, I would have said that I liked it. And then the further away I got from it, the more I hated them. And the more I was like, why is every woman character only in here as an actual sex object? Why? I know. <laughs> oh my god. And then there was a novella about Ori, who is the best character, but mm-hmm. then the novella just, like, sets her up to be kind of in love with Quoth, and I'm like... <laughs> Which is already what I was like, it was like, ugh, I feel like that's what they're doing with her, and I'm not here for it. Not here for it. Ori deserves better. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to derail this conversation, but, like, that was the first <laughs> high fantasy that I could think of where this bullshit happens. Yeah, I just, I, yeah, I, I, like, I don't think I'll read the third one of those. And I tend to often be a completionist and I like will often finish series. And uh, like, I, I just read Wheel of Time, which is like 5 million pages. He writes a beautiful sentence. He writes a beautiful metaphor, but his characters are full of shit. Yeah, no, I. That's really what it is. I, yeah, no, I, I hate them. I just hate them so much. And I like, I would never say this to his face because he just looks so beleaguered all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably gets where's the third book all the time. And I do not probably want to not ask. quite as much as George R. R. Martin getting that, getting the like, where's the next book, but close. <laughs> and like, I don't want to add to the list being like, your characters suck. Yeah, in Please general. Please sign my book. <laughs> in general, I tend to be of the opinion that like, writing is hard it and. Is. I usually, like, I think it's obviously very relevant and important to, like, do, like, critiques of popular culture. Mm -hmm. I would never, like, go up to an author at, like, an event and be like, this is why, or, like, tweet at them and be like, this is why I think your thing sucks. Yeah, no. I just, like, that just seems like an unnecessary, like, mean thing to do. No, I agree. But... If I ever cover it on this podcast, which to be honest is unlikely because then I'd have to reread it. <laughs> I mean, if you ever do, I would be down for join- joining you and just talking about how Quoth is a fuckboy the entire time. <laughs> potentially, yes. Potentially one day I'll decide that I'm ready to like reread and shit talk them <laughs> for two hours. Bass is the only character that matters. <sighs> oh my god. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> Now that we got that out of our system. Yes. So I will say one thing that I thought was like, that was just like a little note that was made that I was like, wait, what? Why are you saying this? Okay. When Raul takes Kel as his squire and he and his men are, talk- are like talking about like the possible rumors or whatever, basically like whether she's like ready to like handle dealing with that. Like somebody says like as a noble woman, she wouldn't be thinking about marriage or a childbearing for a long time. And then somebody else is like, well, but as a commoner, she would probably already be married and having children. Yeah, which I also was like, what? Especially since in first in the first book, Lord Wilden was like, girl, start young. Right. Like, A, that, but also in it, would, it tends to be the reverse, actually. Yeah. That marriage in your early teens is much more common for members of the nobility. 
which makes sense because a there is not like the same kind of like so when you get married your family typically provides you with a dowry so they provide you with like some portion of the family's wealth it's basically like you know it's not necessarily always an equal portion but it's to some extent like getting basically like an inheritance before your parents die interesting my family only provided me with anxiety (laughs) (laughs) the the best kind of pre-mortem inheritance anxiety (laughs) (laughs) but so you would get this dowry and like that's and like you bring a dowry into your marriage and in families that are less wealthy you know it's hard to come up with a, a dowry like it's hard to get to the point where like you can like offer enough money like that is like going to allow your daughter to make a reasonable marriage and that like will not like bankrupt your family because of that and also because like in noble families there's often like okay she's 13 or 14 but like we need this alliance to happen yesterday yeah so like let's get them married now and like there's not that kind of pressure for lower status families and also especially when you're talking about like peasants or sometimes the urban poor then like for peasants there's often like well you can like use their labor and so there might it might be beneficial to have them around for a bit longer because they're free labor for uh urban women then often they're like they go into like domestic servants service positions and like one of the things that women in domestic service positions or sometimes or apprentices are sometimes doing is basically like collecting the cash for their dowry through their wages yeah Yeah, I always thought that this was very weird, but it's something that we see a lot in different kinds of media, not just this, is that commoner women get married so young, and it persists through the books, I say, I would say. Yeah. And I think it's just because it's this very commonly accepted stereotype. Right, and it's something that she probably didn't necessarily, like, think to research, essentially. And also, I will say, in general, it is very rare that... I read things and feel like somebody actually bothered reading like medieval social history, which like I feel strongly about because like I'm a social historian, like I do like social and economic history. And so I always like when it seems like somebody's done some research about like how like society works, as opposed to just like, here is the name of five kings. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you were describing me trying very, very hard. (laughs) To research, like, 1920s royal family etiquette. (laughs) Would a princess in the the 1920s be trained on what to do if she's kidnapped? Mm. But see, yeah, like, that's the kind of thing, like, yeah, that, like, that research is, like, worth doing. Like, and a lot of people, it seems like they kind of don't do it. And I think she just, like, had this stereotype in her head and assumed it was true and didn't bother, like, reading all of the books and articles about medieval marriage, which would have told her the opposite. Yeah. Which I get, but... It's just very funny to me. Yeah, and it's a weird, like... And it's a weird, like, perpetuation of stereotypes that I feel like have, like, probably some kind of classist roots. Which, as I said, I'm sure she just, like, didn't know. But it's too bad that people usually don't, like, think to do that research. Yeah. But I will store this away if I ever write a high fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And... There is something, actually, in terms of the realm of social history that she does really well, which is the Historia ad Veritas section that I'm going to talk about, women in the textile industry, inspired by Lalasa. So a woman working professionally as a dressmaker, as she does, would not be that out of the ordinary. So I am writing a book, which is on women's work in 13th and 14th century Catalonia. That's awesome. And that, yeah, that was my dissertation. And now it's the book. 
And I have a lot of examples of women who are explicitly referred to as being uh, often seamstresses. The kind of Catalan rendered in Latin is a custurera. And so essentially a seamstress, uh, potentially kind of like a clothing maker, they probably were at different levels and some of them were probably doing more actually making clothing and some of them were doing basically kind of like making repairs, basically. We have women weavers, uh, both in the kind of wool weaving industry and also in silk weaving. And this is a industry that, you know, has a, an ex like a pretty broad presence of women. I have apprenticeship contracts, so where women are actually taking on usually younger women as apprentices. I have contracts where, you know, women are like buying the raw materials that they need for their trade on credit. You know, so this is something that really would have been an option available to women. And something uh, that is, uh, that we see, that I see both in my documents for Christian women and to some extent for Jewish women, although the Jewish women that I see tend to have basically like kind of joint enterprises with their husbands. I haven't seen as many Jewish women who are doing so basically independently, but they do exist as well. The one thing I will say is that there are relatively few women who are doing so who are never married women, that most of the time it's women who are referred to as either being married and probably, you know, they're sometimes they're kind of in business with their husbands, sometimes they're not. But it uh, is very possible that it's essentially kind of a sort of shared fund of capital. And a number of them also are widows who are basically at the point where they can at least like kind of collect their dowries and administer them uh, somewhat independently. And so uh, they're able to, uh, to kind of work based on that. But I do have a couple of references here and there to women who at least, uh, so you, the way you tend to know women's marital status is because uh, the vast majority of women are described basically with reference to a man. Right. Most women, it's either you are the wife of so-and-so or the way it's literally phrased in Latin, if you're a widow, is the wife of so-and-so who is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to be referred to as the wife of John Lestrange, who is horribly depressed. <laughs> and just change it from, like, if you're alive or dead, and just be like, your emotional status. Right. Like your Facebook status back when it was just like, so-and-so is, and you could just, like, fill in, like, two words. John, by the way, snapped his head up when I said his name. <laughs> He's looking at me very intently. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> Why did you say my name? <laughs> but yeah, so that if you if you weren't married, then you'd be like the daughter of so and so. Right. So I do have, as I said, one or two women who are either who are listed as either the daughter of so and so or who actually just have basically like a surname. Okay. And so for those, uh, you know, it's not definite, especially the ones with just a surname. It's actually not impossible that they're potentially widowed. But uh, there is, you know, some possibility at least that there are at least occasionally women who never married and just had a cool little like dress shop and did their own thing. That's awesome. I'm really excited for you to get to Circle of Magic now because one of the characters yeah. is a weaver. Ooh, I'm excited to be able to have an opportunity to talk about weaving and the textile industry more. Like, I, I think it will hit you very deeply. Amazing. I'm excited. We can now, I guess, then move into the, the Fabula Nostra, where we talk about a film or show inspired by this one. I mean, my answer is still just like that I want I want the miniseries just of this, too. Just continue it. Yes. I'm, I was trying to think of who could play Raul, and I'm like, God, who is big enough to play Raul? <laughs> Who like, is big Raul enough has to, to play be Raul? Fucking huge, and my yeah. brain keeps coming to like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. 
And I'm like, but really? Right. That would be kind of interesting. That would be kind of fun to just like have like the rock in this like medieval thing. I think he would like it, to be honest. Yeah. I would also cast the rock in a circle of magic roll, which <laughs> we keep just like trying to at mention the rock and just be like, hey. Hey, you, you should you do, wanna this. do this. You want to do this? Hey, do you want to play a knight who takes really good care of people and is a very good person? I think he'd be really good. I think he would too. My one thing is that I, I see Raul is having hair. Yeah. He has, he's supposed to have black curly hair. Yeah. In terms of like what Raul like looks like except for the size, I'd almost want like Mark Ruffalo, but he's not Ooh. big enough. He's not big enough, but like yeah. he has that kind of goofy nature. Yeah. I just think about Mark Ruffalo seeing famous people and just being like, oh, it's a famous <laughs> person. And just like, hey, hey, Mark Ruffalo, do you know that you're famous too? <laughs> it's very cute. But yeah, like they, I feel like he could, she could be, he could be good, but he's not quite yet. He's really not big enough. Yeah. Raul is supposed to be like six and a half feet tall and like four feet oh, yeah. wide. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like, he is like a giant. I really don't know enough about actors to like really start like naming people, but I see you have Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet. Yeah. I was thinking is Neil because Neil is a bit older than the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, so. He starts off as 15. Yeah, so I think it makes sense to, like, have somebody who is, like, maybe a little more of a, like, name cast as Neil. And I think he would be good. Yeah, I think he'd be all right. I really only know him from Call Me By Your Name, which I hated. Mm, He's really good as Lori in Little Women. All right. Well, that's good. Yeah. Call Me By Your Name was uh, a special experience I was not into. I have not seen it. Like, as a queer person, I think it was very geared towards, like, queer mask presenting people right and i also so okay is there is that also one of the something that has a big age difference yeah it, there's a huge age difference uh army hammer is in it yeah and like it, it doesn't end super happily and i'm like i don't need to be sad yeah like as a queer woman as well i like i i don't love when like that tends to be like the main portrayals of queer relationships are like these relationships where like there is this like age difference that based on the ages of the characters like feels a little weird yeah because he's like 18 at most and then army hammer is like definitely in his late 20s right at least yeah and like they have a relationship and i'm just like "Mm." yeah and it just like feels Feels a little too much Uh, like it's like i don't know kind of like feeding into like a like predatory queer archetype which is not that is how i felt yeah and then like it doesn't end super happily and i'm Mm -hmm. just like i have enough sad endings in my queer media i don't need this right yeah, I mean, because that's a trope too, right? Of yeah. the like, nobody can be happy. The like tragic queer relationship, like, because it was actually it was interesting. Like, uh, I listened to the Adventure Zone, and the uh, they Adventure have Zone. like, which I love, yeah. But like, so they have like one arc uh, which has uh, a lesbian couple, mm-hmm. and then they like die together. Yeah, and Griffin <laughs> talks about it later, and he's like, I yeah, didn't exactly. know it was a thing, and I right. fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, if I, like, I would not have done that if I'd, like, known that was, like, a trope. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, and I appreciate that, like, you know, I think, you know, they're, they're trying, you know, they're three white dudes. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, they're three cishet white dudes, but I think they're trying their best. They're doing their best. And, uh, yeah, and I, like, appreciate that, like, you know, people called them out and, like, they talk and, like, Griffin talked about it. And, like, I think that's a good thing. But it is definitely, like, 
it's too bad that like that's what a lot of the like queer relationships that we have in media are yeah and like it seemed like they fixed it at least in the graphic novel a little more immediately oh really that's interesting that's good that's good to know so at least i felt it was better yeah that is my two cents for whatever you value it as so yeah i everybody listen to us please (laughs) please make all of these into mini series please and like let raul be by (laughs) just let raul be by y'all and please just diversify the cast. They don't that all would have also... to be white. Oh, right. They really don't. Like, Oh, oh, what's his name? Fuck. I can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head because I'm so bad with them. But he's been all over my Twitter lately because he was in The Haunting of Bly Manor. He was oh, is it the guy who said I Zombie? Yeah. Fuck, I don't know his name, but I just watched the first episode of The Haunting of Bly Manor. And immediately I was like, oh, it's Ravi. And I am very yes. distracted by that. <laughs> it's Ravi. <laughs> I have to look up his name or else it's going to plague me for the rest of my life. <laughs> for the rest of my days. <laughs> it's Ra- Rahul Coley. I wanted mm. to say Raul. Because it was very Again, close. he's not quite big enough. No, but he's I not quite big him. enough. But that's not who I would have cast him Oh, okay. Who would you as. cast him as? I just feel like he needs to be in there somewhere. I think he yeah, needs okay. to be one of the knights. Yeah. He could be... Maybe if we wanted to veer away from Timothy Chalamet, he could be Dom. Oh, yeah. That's true. That could like, work. Dom's supposed to be a little older. Here's a weird... Could he be Jonathan? Oh, he could be Jonathan. I could see that. Yeah, and that would make the Bazir thing a little less terrible. It would. Ever it so would. slightly. Yeah. It would be <laughs> just a really subtle way to make it seem not as awful. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a really good call. I mean, I actually, like, I in general think that, like things should just like i feel like it should just be like a pretty much like race blind casting like yeah i agree turn it into a miniseries keep yes. going oh fuck you know who i oh fuck i feel like chadwick boseman could have pulled off role when he's dead oh yeah now i'm sad <laughs> yeah he would have been a good role. yeah mm. <laughs> well now that we've depressed ourselves <laughs> yeah so now we can rate this on a scale of one to five in the estimatio I give Protector of the Small a five. That's very fair. I'm very passionate about it. I will do anything for Kelladry of Mindelin. <laughs> I am ride or die for her. I would fight to the death. I would even fight a Spidrin if she asked me to. <laughs> because I know that Kel wouldn't let it. anything bad happen to me. <laughs> I get it. I'm saying a 4.5 and I will admit it is entirely because I cannot emotionally give it higher than the Song of the Lioness. Like, I just personally, for my own self, I cannot. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally solid. My co-host from Circle of Friendship, the very first time we talked to each other and we found out that we both liked Tamara Pierce, I told her that she could play Alana, and that cemented our friendship. So I get it. I get it. Yeah, like, Alana was just, like, like, Alana, when I was a tween, was, like, who I wanted to be. Yeah. And, like, that, and that cannot... Yeah, which is which is very fair, but it's just like you know, especially like because I didn't read these, read these books when I was young. Yeah. I have a relationship with Alana that I won't. I don't think I'll ever like quite be able to have with these books, just because like Alana is like a part of me. Yeah, I, I've reread these books enough that like they're all part of me, and I all I yeah. learn from all of them, and like. As soon as I finish Lady Night, I'm moving on to Trickster's Choice and Trickster's Queen, which is Alana's daughter, Allie. 
Yes, I am excited. So I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a uh, an Immortals reread sometime soon, and then yeah, embark on the others in in some order. Yes, I'm excited for you. Yeah, and I am very excited to have you back to talk tomorrow, Pierce, with me. Yes. And yeah, and one day I will actually do Circle of Magic, and uh, and then I will listen to your podcast because I was excited <laughs> when I heard when I heard about it for the first time, but I haven't listened because I want to read Circle of Magic. I mean, and you can I listen don't along, want chapter at a time. Right, exactly. But yeah, because I don't want to be I don't want to be spoiled by the podcast. I want to have the Which experience totally of reading. Fair. So yeah, one of these days I will get to it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a yeah, great thank time. Thank you so much for coming on. If you listened to the last episode, you got this info already. But for anybody who uh, did not get a chance to do so, uh, MJ, where can the listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at IHoardLibrarians, where I will be talking about my National Novel Writing Month project. If this comes out after National Novel Writing Month, I'll probably be sobbing over it for some reason or another. (laughs) (laughs) Just because 50,000 words in a month is a lot. Yeah, it is. (laughs) That being said... You can also hear me on Reignite, a podcast about the Mass Effect video game series, The Circle of Friendship, which is a deep dive into the Circle of Magic books, also by Tamara Pierce, and the Rob Thomas No Not That One Robcast, which takes a look at the creative works of Rob Thomas, and I know what you want to think. It's definitely not that one. It's the (laughs) other one. It's the other Rob Thomas, I promise you. You can also find all of these podcasts on CertainPOV.com. The Certain Point of View Network has all sorts of nerdy podcasts, each with a unique point of view. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining me for uh, these episodes. So, and if uh, you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate interview Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join the Facebook group. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Itch Decker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I look forward to hearing from you at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye.